Today's reading is Luke chapter 2. Uh, this chapter is so familiar with, to many of us because it's basically the Christmas story, which we hear read in full every year in church services around Christmas time. Because, and because it's so familiar to us, sometimes we miss some of the important details when we miss the big picture. And I look forward to thinking about some of those things today. Luke 2 is a wonderful chapter that is so incredibly rich and full. Uh, let's let's uh, think about it together. And to set the stage for this chapter, let me begin by reminding you of an important prophecy in Ezekiel about what would happen when God would bring about a new covenant through his Messiah. This is Ezekiel 37, verses 24 through 27. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make, of co- I will make a covenant of peace, that is the new covenant, with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever, forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That prophecy shows that when God brought about the new covenant through Jesus, he was bringing about the fulfillment of all the previous covenants that he had made. These early chapters of the Gospel of Luke show us the same thing. Yesterday from chapter 1, we saw Luke focusing on the fulfillment of the covenant he made with Abraham. We see a little bit more of of that briefly here in chapter 2 when Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. In chapter 2, verse 21, just as God had commanded Abraham and his offspring, repeated to Moses. But the rest of chapter 2 switches gears and Luke stresses that through Jesus, God would bring about the fulfillment of the covenants with Moses and then with David. So let's... Let's take a look at that. So let's think first about, the Jesus, about Jesus and the covenant with David. Again, we've read this chapter so many times that some of the things may never have dawned on us. But there's a clear and unmistakable emphasis on Jesus being the fulfillment of David and the covenant with David. Let me first remind you that the prophecy in Ezekiel 37 that we just read promised that in the new covenant, quote, my servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. With that in mind, it's not a coincidence that Luke points out that Jesus and his family traveled to Bethlehem, which is the city of David, in order to be numbered in the census. Why? Because Jesus was uh, of the house and lineage of David. Verse 4, through Joseph, his adoptive father Joseph, Jesus was numbered among the tribe of Judah as a descendant of David. What does this mean? It means that, that like David... He would be king over his people, though a greater king. See that throughout the rest of Scripture, as well as a shepherd, though a greater shepherd. We know this because the angels announced that the one who was born that day in the city of David was a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He would be Lord. He would be king like David, but greater and everlasting. Let me also add this. To whom did the angels make this announcement here in chapter 2? two shepherds out in a field. Now let me ask you this, why in the world was this announcement made to shepherds? Shepherds, does that not seem random? Not if you understand the connection the Lord is making between Jesus and David. David was a shepherd. 
Ezekiel prophesies that like David, one day God's people would have one shepherd over them. The angels are foreshadowing that this one born here in Luke 2 would be a shepherd by declaring his birth to whom? Shepherds. This is confirmed when Jesus later reminds himself, refers to himself as, in John 10, 11, as the good shepherd. And the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5, 4 calls Jesus the chief shepherd. David was a shepherd and a king. Why? Because God providentially used him in his life to point forward to a greater shepherd and a greater king who would protect his people from greater enemies and to sit on a throne from everlasting to everlasting. Let's think now about Jesus and the covenant with Moses. Why is the setting for virtually everything, or what is the, what? I'm getting my words wrong. What is the setting for virtually everything else in this chapter? The, the setting is the temple. Uh, and that shifts our attention away from Mo, uh, David to Moses, to whom uh, was revealed the law and everything else pertaining to the temple. The Ezekiel prophecy also declares that in the New Covenant, the Ezekiel prophecy that we read at the, at the very beginning, declares that in the New, new Covenant, uh, his people would, quote, walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. And notice the idea that is mentioned repeatedly here in Luke 2. In verse 22, they came for purification, quote, according to the law of Moses. In verse 23, we are reminded that they did everything uh, quote, as it is written in the law of the Lord. In verse 24, they offer a sacrifice, quote, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. In verse 27, they brought the infant Jesus to the temple, quote, to do for him according to the custom of the law. In verse 39, Luke makes sure to tell us that they returned to Nazareth only after, quote, they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. So you get the point. And while it, it might not be... Um, as obvious as the previous examples. Do you notice how when Jesus returned home um, with his parents after being left behind in the temple, it says that he was, in verse 51, submissive to them. Why mention this? Because it was the fifth commandment of the law of Moses to honor your father and mother. So Luke presents Jesus not only as the greater David, but as the greater Moses. In addition to showing his strict adherence to the customs and commandments of the law of Moses, even from birth, through his parents, that is, as we've seen, we see him as the greater Moses in another respect. Just as Moses came to deliver the, the word and wisdom of God through the law, what do we find Jesus doing as a young boy when he was left behind in the temple? Not only was he listening to the teachers and asking them questions, but we're also told in verses 46 and 47 that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. This was 12-year-old Jesus, verse 42. This was Jesus who would later uh, in his life declare, and we saw it in Matthew 5, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. And like Moses, who led the people in an exodus out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus would lead his people in a greater exodus out of slavery to sin and death. And we'll see that in, in Luke chapter 9, where the Greek word in in Luke 9, 31, translated departure is actually the Greek word exodus. Jesus is a greater teacher and deliverer than Moses. And we begin to see that in Jesus' life as early as Luke chapter 2. Finally, Jesus is the fulfillment of wisdom. Wisdom. We won't dwell long here, but it deserves mention. Twice in this chapter, the wisdom of Jesus is mentioned. In verse 40, we are told, 
that Jesus was filled with wisdom. And again in verse 52, we're told that Jesus increased in wisdom. Now, if something like this was mentioned only once, I might not have taken notice of it, and you might not have either. But when it's mentioned twice in the same chapter, uh, it's, it's worth taking notice. And I feel like Luke is intentionally drawing our attention to it. What does he want us to take away from, uh, from these repeated mentions of wisdom? Probably several things, but I want to point to one that may not immediately come to your mind. I don't know if you've ever noticed um, that often in the, the wisdom literature in the Bible, by wisdom literature I mean like Proverbs and uh, Ecclesiastes and things like that, but especially in, pro in Proverbs, wisdom is often personified. That is, wisdom is described as if it were a person. For example, Proverbs 2.20 says, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. See that also in Proverbs 8.1 and following. So wisdom is often described as if it were a person. And I believe Luke, by repeatedly mentioning the wisdom of Jesus, is perhaps showing us that Jesus is, in fact, the fulfillment and personification of wisdom. If you measured Jesus' life by the book of Proverbs, it would match perfectly. If you ever wondered what it would look like if someone lived out exactly what the book of Proverbs teaches, I'll go ahead and tell you that it looks like Jesus. For this reason, Paul tells the Corinthians that, among other things, Jesus is our wisdom, verse 1 Corinthians 1.30. Jesus has already lived the way of wisdom for you. He has already measured up to it so that you don't have to. But in the scriptures, he also exemplifies for you what the way of wisdom looks like for your guidance so that you can follow in his footsteps. The bottom line of this chapter, Jesus is everything. It literally is all about Jesus. If you don't know anything else, know Jesus. If you don't love anything else, love Jesus. If you don't trust anything else, trust Jesus. If you don't serve anyone else, serve Jesus. And above all, if you worship anything, worship Jesus. And that is Luke chapter 2.